we kind of had had enough of waiting. And so we decided to just start where we were, even if that was just a garden with three beds. Started learning how to bake bread, preserve and can. We decided to get our first hive of backyard bees because we're not allowed to have chickens in our HOA. And I know that's everyone's go-to whenever you first start Mm -hmm. homesteading. Bees, it turns out, are actually protected by the law and almost... Every state, I believe, even if your neighbors are grumpy, they can't do anything about it. I think they should be the true gateway to homesteading because you can't get turned down. My name is Lisa, mother of eight and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today, we are going to be chatting with Katie Brandt from Sweet Gum Spot, all things suburban homesteading. She has really figured out how to turn about a quarter acre, I believe she said, of land right in town, right in a subdivision, or I'm not exactly sure where she is. I think she said a subdivision into a profitable homestead that they can actually harvest meat from, honey, garden vegetables. She has taken such a small amount of space and turned it into something that really serves her family, which so many of us want to do, but feel like we really have to wait until we can afford larger land or get out of an HOA. Uh, We're going to be talking about all that because she actually has an HOA and has figured out things that she can raise that don't really violate that. So without further ado, let's jump into this very inspiring interview. Katie, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge on beekeeping and suburban or urban homesteading, however you want to look at it. A lot of people have the dream of wanting to have a homestead. And, and so this this topic's really near and dear to my heart because I feel like I was a homesteader long before we moved to an actual homestead with acreage. And so many people mm-hmm. can have that and they feel like they can't. So let's start by sharing a little bit about you, your story, where you live and what homesteading looks like for you. Absolutely. Well, first off, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. This is this is probably the biggest moment of my homesteading journey so far. It's a real honor to be here. Um I've listened and listened to you and watched you for years. Um pretty much everything I've learned about baking bread, I've learned from you. And so thank you for that. Um <laughs> cool. but Thanks. yeah, it's it's really really you're just you're an awesome teacher and a role model. So I'm honored to be here. A little bit about me. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, grew up in the city and the suburbs there, went to school for music and theater. So I was an actor and a singer by trade. Then when I was in graduate school, getting my master's in acting, (laughs) I realized, oh gosh, you know what I'd love to do? Be a mom and (laughs) uh, spend some time, you know, living a simpler life and growing my own food. And that is kind of the road that we've been on since then. My husband and I since moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana for his job. And we also, it's a, he's from Chicago. So it's the closest thing to a midpoint for us. And when we started that kind of feeling that urge to homestead and to kind of be prepared and, and just, I don't know, have a relationship with our food and, and know the whole story down in Georgia, it started by just growing things on our balcony. And we had a couple little pots. I actually have photographic evidence of our first trip to Home Depot where we got not a regular Mm -hmm. cart, like one of the long carts, you know, with like all the dirt. And I think we spent $40 and on a grad school budget, that was a lot of money. 
And so we, we got all this stuff, set up our balcony garden. And I think that year or the year after my husband knocked the lettuce over onto the ground down below and then roofers knocked roof tiles onto our garden on the balcony and ruined everything. And so that was our first experience with things being out of your control when it comes to growing things, <laughs> which there are many. So that kind of just fueled the fire for us along with really just wanting to be in more control of like the nutrients and the health and the ingredients in our food started cooking from scratch more, which then led us once we moved to Fort Wayne, we got our first house, which we, by that point, so it started off like we would joke one day we're going to have a farm. Wouldn't that be so funny? And then it moved to, but it would actually be really cool to have a farm, but let's not tell anyone. And then it moved to, we're going to tell our family and they all think we're crazy, but that's okay. And so we still are looking for that, you know, end perfect property, that dreamland, but we're in the suburbs. And when we got our first house, we kind of had had, you know, enough of waiting. And so we decided to just start where we were, even if that was just a garden with three beds that has since expanded into six beds and another in ground area that we like removed a whole tree so we could expand <laughs> and then started learning how to bake bread, preserve and can. And then two years ago, I think it's a year or two years ago, it might be, might be just over a year, actually about 18 months, we decided to get our first hive of backyard bees because we could not, we we're not allowed to have chickens in our HOA. And I know that's everyone's like go-to whenever you first start mm -hmm. homesteading or yeah. if you're in the suburbs. But yeah, so we, we were like, we can't get chickens. What can we do? And bees, it turns out, are actually protected by the law in almost every state, I believe. And so you can't, even if your neighbors are grumpy, they can't do anything about it, which we don't have really? grumpy neighbors, thank goodness. No, it's, they're protected by law. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so that's, I think they should be the true gateway to homesteading because you can't get turned down as long as you stay within the regulations, which most people are allowed to have one or two hives on their, on their backyard. There's nothing that you can be yelled at for. So you can have those bees. And then shortly after that, we got our meat rabbits. So that's where we're at now. That is so cool. I think people think if they can't have chickens, then their homestead dreams are just completely dashed because those are the animals you think of when you first mm -hmm. get a homestead and you couldn't. So you have meat and honey and garden food, which is probably more than a lot of people who yep. even have acreage are doing. So that's really crazy. Another thing is you mentioned that you, you, even if your HOA says you can't, they can't say that you can't have bees, which I never really knew. I was talking to this, my husband about this before, cause we were talking about this interview and you know, he was talking about what if you have a grumpy neighbor? Mm -hmm. And I was saying, you know, I personally would rather somebody in my neighborhood have bees because it'll make my garden do better. You know, like if yeah. I, everybody wants to grow a couple backyard tomatoes, right? Like most people anyways. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have pollinators around, it makes even your, you know, flowers and everything you, you have do better. So personally, yep. I'd want somebody to have bees nearby. Absolutely. So that's well, and cool. I know like, I, I don't want, I'm sure that there's someone out there that's like my state or my city is, is not okay with bees. And that, cause I think there are maybe a few places, but I would say the majority of state and local governments do have regulations or rules in place that protect neighborhood beekeepers and things like that. Okay. Now tell us, we're going to get more into the beekeeping thing. Tell us about your rabbits. So you're doing like what all, what kind of, what breed do you have? What's the setup look like? How much space does it require? 
Absolutely. So we have um, silver fox meat rabbits. The breed is originally from Ohio. And so being in Indiana, we have cold winters, which our first winter with them, we were really, I don't know, you, you kind of put your own feelings into your animals, right? And so they were out there in this really cold weather and we kept going outside and making sure they had enough hay and going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry guys. And they, they were having a ball. I mean, they could not have been more comfortable in on like below zero temperatures. So they're very great. It's a great breed for mm-hmm. the Midwest where we live. We have two does and a buck. Our um, does are named Flora and Flossie and our buck is named Buddy. And he is just, he is my favorite because he is like, if you have had rabbits before, and I didn't know this because I had never had rabbits, even as pets, they don't really like to be held. So they're not things you cuddle. They're soft, but you can't really cuddle them because they're prey animals. And so they run away, but buddy is not that way. And so he's really nice too for my three-year-old. Well, she'll be three on Saturday. Um, my three-year-old daughter can play with him and brush him. And so it's a good experience for her as well. So we breed those, those three are our breeders. Then, um, right now, actually Flora has a litter of eight and Flossie just had her second litter of four, two or three days ago. And so we'll raise those kits up till they're about 14 weeks. We harvest them right in our own backyard and then we put them in the freezer and that's our meat. We're actually working towards substituting pretty much all chicken with that just because economically we have it. So why not use it? You know, the way we built a hutch, it's a raised hutch that sits right over our compost bay. And if, if anyone has followed me on Instagram, there's, there's like reels of this and all that kinds of stuff to which you always get the fun comments of your rabbits are in a terrible situation. It's not true. They're very well cared for and loved and have (laughs) the great, you know, you'll always get bad. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But no, so you'll see the hutch if you go over on Instagram and basically we took the plans from my friend Tiffany. She has a YouTube channel called Teal Stone Homestead and it's like all rabbits. She shows them all this. She knows a lot and she's where we got our rabbits from. And so it's, um, three 30 by 30 cages set about, I think four feet off the ground. And we actually positioned it so that it's directly over our compost bay. So we don't have to clean anything. All the waste just goes straight down into the compost and we turn it and then it's good to go. So, okay. What are you did you already say what all you're feeding them? No, I didn't. Okay. We are, we do a combination of hay and pellets and then fresh greens as well. We do, I don't know if it matters if I get the specific, but it's like 17, I think 17, 17, 17. I couldn't tell you what all that is, but it's like the breakdown of protein and fiber and all that pellets for them. And then Timothy hay rabbits will normally, they, they will take Timothy or alfalfa, but we have a local source of Timothy And for anyone who's just getting into this, especially if they're in the suburbs and has never done anything homestead related like myself, here's a a important piece of information because I learned this the hard way. So when we got our rabbits, I didn't know where to get hay. And so we ordered it off Amazon (laughs) and we were paying $80 for 40 pounds of hay, which goes by quite quickly, Uh quite quickly. Whenever you've got like a dozen or more rabbits. Plus they like push it through the floor. And and so we were like trying to figure out how to conserve this hay. Turns out you can go on Craigslist and get it for $5 okay. and it's still locally raised and totally fine. So, or like I have a local feed store, I get it too. It's about six or seven. So 
We've recently changed and saved a bunch of money by doing that. And then in addition, I'll just give them leaves from our kale or our broccoli. If you grow broccoli, you know, there's huge leaves, which you can cook and we do, and they're really tasty, but we don't use them all. And so give that extra cabbage leaves, beet greens to, you know, the bunnies. They don't actually, you can't like, you shouldn't give them carrots all the time, actually, because there's a lot of sugar in there. So despite the mm-hmm. the thought that bunnies love carrots, they you don't want to give them carrots all the time because it'll give them too much sugar. So, And are you able to find organic feed at all? Or is that something you've figured out how to source anywhere? I haven't looked into it too much. I'm trying, I would, I would run out and look. I don't think what we have is organic because for a while we were just getting it from another guy who like sold it wholesale from his barn. Okay. And so, and have you looked at the co- I know pe- I'm thinking of all the questions people are going to ask. So I'm trying to like, sure, think sure, of sure, that please. it's so fascinating. I, don't, I think it's an underlooked animal. Like I don't think most people we've talked about on the podcast before, but it's not something people mm-hmm. do a lot because there's a few reasons. One, I think we're really unfamiliar. And so we're wondering like, well, how does it taste? And then also have you done the cost breakdown if you were to do what you're doing, feed a couple of rabbits, you know, feed the the babies till they're 14 weeks, how does the cost break mm-hmm. down versus like chicken? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I will say like with the taste and everything, that was something that I was uh, unfamiliar with as well. And I just, we, we both had, I think my husband had maybe had it once or twice, but we, we jumped into it and we're like, well, we, this is our, again, we're just looking for something that we can do in this yeah. space. And so we're like, well, we're going to learn to like it even if we don't. Yeah. But it turns out someone just, de- de- someone described it um, to me as a cross between pork and Turkey. And okay. I would a hundred percent agree with that. It's like, that's, yeah, that's fine. super tender pork chop with okay. mild Turkey. I don't know. It's, it's really good. It's mild. Um, Cause I, I consider both of those meats. I mean, like, unless you make it into bacon or sausage or whatever, like not, not super, super flavorful, but also like good, but not, you know what I mean? Like not hard to like. No, it, it kind of takes on what you make with it. So season it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the things that we've done, obviously we've done crock pot, we've roasted it. My favorite way over the summer was grilling it and we have like a big green egg. And so we would marinate it in I think olive oil, lemon juice, and honey with a little bit of rosemary and thyme. And then you grill it and over that open flame, it gets a little bit of smoke flavor and oh man, it was so good. And also we recently did the front legs as like rabbit wings, <laughs> buffalo okay. wings, which are really good too. Yeah. Um, but in terms of cost, it, I think it breaks down to about $4 a pound and that's, so it was, it might even be less because I was, I did the math whenever we were paying the $80 and I was trying to figure oh, out, okay. this is, well, we got to figure something then. out here. <laughs> and that was about... That was about $8 a pound. So if I'm taking $75 out of that equation, it might, yeah, I would say it's $4 or less a pound. And then what's like boneless, skinless chicken? I mean, that's, well, I don't know how you. I mean, organic, like if you're getting it organic and not, um, you know, hormone filled, I mean, we're paying here in Indiana, at least like if I were to get it at the farmer's market from my farmer where I get everything else. It's like $10 a pound. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so neat that it's something that you can do and, and the whole process, you can see how it works. And I think I know yes. that this topic gets very controversial, even though it's, it's funny because a lot of people who have controversial thoughts toward it do actually eat meat. 
I can understand like a vegan mm-hmm. critiquing this conversation, but if you eat meat, I mean, like <laughs> you really can't just because the animal looks cuter. It's still, <laughs> you know, than a chicken. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's and and so logic. I've actually, no, we had um, a woman come to take pictures for our business here over the summer on our, I would say on the farm, but it's in our backyard. And she is, I don't know if she's yeah. vegan or vegetarian, but she actually was super like, uh, she admired what we were doing. Cause she, you know, it's kind of like, at least you're taking the matter into your own hands, you know, yes. and yeah. bearing that burden. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And that's respectable. Yeah, yeah. That's part of why we decided to do it as well, because it's just, at least we know that like I said earlier, they're having a great life. They are well taken care of, well fed, and they're respected and their sacrifice is absolutely like appreciated a lot. Yeah. It's not lost on you. Yeah. No, not at all. And, um, like harvest day is not a fun day. It's not something we look forward to. Right. I tell a lot of people that I I will say like once, because if, if you're rabbits, you have more than one to harvest in a day. Right. And so once you kind of get into the flow, it is just like, all right, we got to get business done. But that first one, that first one of the day is always really tough because Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, we've enjoyed you. We love you. But now it's time for you to fulfill your purpose. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is hard. But I think for everyone who eats meat, you know, just the fact that we don't have to see it doesn't mean because people will say, oh, I could never do that. But you are doing it. You're just not seeing yeah. it and feeling the weight of it, you know? So I think, exactly. I think that's a cool thing about homesteading and teaching all of that whole process to your kids. I mean, that's real life stuff, right? And I think that's really cool. So there's the, there's the first thing people can get into on a, on a homestead. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, like Charlie, well, like I said, she'll be three in a couple of days and she's seen it all. And even our parents were like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, don't, don't do that in front of her. And we tried with the first litter, but as if anyone who has young kids knows, like you have a limited amount of time in your day. And if you need to get something done, sometimes they have to be there with you. And so Mm -hmm. she's not, you know, she's running around the yard playing, but she's there when it happens and she knows. And like, she sees what's, you know, what the bunnies are meant for. And she knows, like, she will point to us and say, buddy's our pet. This one is our food, you know? And, and so she knows that that's, that they're here for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. She's making that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. My, my kids were around when we did a big harvest day at my sister's. She, before she started getting really large quantities of chickens, she did it herself. And so we would Mm -hmm. be there during it. And, you know, it's a, I don't know. I think it's good for people who are saying I'm going to eat meat to see, you know, I think that's a good educational thing. Absolutely. So that's really encouraging, though, because have you ever seen an HOA that doesn't allow bunnies? I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Like, I feel like that's something almost anybody could get into. Absolutely. Well, and and the thing is, too, so I remember reading in our little in our HOA booklet that they give you when you move in, you know, no livestock and all that. And so technically, I, I don't know if they're really allowed I mean, I, I'm, I don't you think anyone in my neighborhood, yeah, yeah no cat. one in my neighborhood is going to yell at me. I, I live in a very nice neighborhood, but the thing about rabbits is they're very quiet. And so yeah, if you're unsure, you have them. <laughs> yeah, no one knows. And, um, we also were lucky enough to have a big privacy fence too. So no, literally no one knows half of our, like you people don't even know we have there. bees. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. They're allowed. But no, um, <laughs> 
Yeah, people don't even know we have bees unless we tell them. And so that's another, I don't know, perk, I guess, to having the privacy fence. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I want to interrupt this episode real quick to tell you about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Tubes & Co., Just this morning, actually, I got a text from my mom to our sisters, our entire family group. Who needs to place a tubes order? I need some new foundation. Anyone want to throw something on for free shipping? But I had already just gotten in my new order that I ordered a couple of weeks ago of my Tubes & Co. makeup. We all just love it so much. It has natural and organic, clean ingredients. Nothing that you have to worry about as you are trying to improve your health, cook more clean in your home. Sometimes we forget about skincare and our skin is our body's largest organ. So what goes on there can actually make its way in and affect our health. It's hard to find high quality products. You don't feel like you're sacrificing how you usually do your makeup or your skincare. When normally I feel like with brands that are cleaner, you get the cleaner ingredients, but you sacrifice kind of the quality, the feel. Not the case with Tubes & Co., I have the foundation, the eyebrow pencil, the mascara, the palette for eyeshadow. I also really love the skincare. So their moisturizers are really great this time of year. As it's getting colder, I need something to moisturize my skin. And I love their tallow balm because again, it's all clean, natural ingredients. Tallow from grass-fed cows. It doesn't just sit on the skin. It actually makes its way in. So just the whole thing. All their products, I've tried so many of them. Every single one I've tried, I have loved. Tubes & Co. is offering Simple Farmhouse Life listeners 10% off over on their website, tubesandco.com, with the code FARMHOUSE. Again, that's T-O-U-P-S and co.com. Use the code FARMHOUSE to get 10% off. Tubes & Co. is a small, family-run, made-in-America company. You can feel really good about supporting and good about the ingredients that's going on your skin. Again, thanks to Tubes & Co. for sponsoring today's episode. Okay, so let's talk about bees because this is another thing that you can do pretty much no matter where you live. I mean, for the most part. Let's talk about, first of all, mm-hmm. why keep bees? What are some of the advantages? Well, there are there are many and sometimes I, I'm like, okay, where do I start? So first off, as you mentioned, yeah. <laughs> pollination. If you garden or you have friends that garden, um, pollination is, that's what we know bees for, right? They they pollinate things. Some people are, I guess, get a little up in arms about neighborhood beekeeping because they think that that's kind of killing off the native bee species. But um, turns out they actually forage for two different things. So native bees tend to forage for greenery and like they like to be out in parks and stuff like that. Whereas honeybees like we have, they forage for flowers and vegetables and they have a much more diverse menu that they eat from as opposed to native bees. So that's a good thing. If you have someone that's giving you trouble and it's like they're not, they're, they're no trouble about that. I promise. So they're great for pollination, which is great for the environment and our ecosystem. They are great for your personal health. So obviously, if you keep bees, you're going to get honey, which um, has a ton of benefits in and of itself. But the act of beekeeping actually is a very healthful endeavor. There's lots of articles on kind of the power of beekeeping. And it sounds a little woo-woo, but apparently... 
you know, and I've been in the hive with my husband and I can attest to this when you're in there, it is, it's almost like a Zen state because you're just, you're like focused on getting your work done and moving nice and slow to keep the bees calm. And so they actually, their wings emit a frequency that is like, like meditating basically. So it's calming for you. Beekeepers live a lot longer than other farmers. Okay. And then, um, they actually, I think it's in Europe somewhere, I would say, but they have like bee therapy. And so you can lie down. They have these places where you actually lie down on the top of these hives and those frequencies get into your body, which can heal you apparently. And then you can like breathe in the hive air because of the the propolis and everything. A lot of the propolis and the um, pollen, as well as the wax and the honey, they all have different medicinal benefits. So in addition to harvesting the honey, you could also harvest propolis. And a lot of people use that to like put that into cough syrups and salves and things like that just like the wax. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot about propolis yeah. and the wax. Like I think of honey, but I forgot about all of that, even though I've gone to beekeepers to get their wax for other purposes throughout my house, like making salves and candles and body butters and all of this stuff. And then it's like, oh yeah, you get that when you're a beekeeper. I know. Yeah. Well, and I actually, so I've made a couple candles with some of our wax so far And then I have also, or I have on my to-do list to make the beeswax cloths. I actually, I have your blog post pulled up and I was going to use that. Oh, the wraps. Too. Yes. Forgot about those too. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say the last thing is it's very low maintenance. So if you are someone who is, that's why we're here. How could I forget that one? (laughs) If you're someone who's stuck in the suburbs and you're looking for an outlet for that homesteading kind of. I don't know, desire and you're stuck and you maybe mm-hmm. don't have the money or the time to move out to the country yet. Bees are really low maintenance and obviously they don't require a lot of space. So we live on a quarter of an acre, like our whole entire property is a quarter of an acre. So a third of that is our front yard, a third of that is our house. So right. really, truly the only space that we're growing in is a 12th of an acre. Uh-huh. And so wow. the bees, yeah, the bees, uh, the hive itself is like, I guess two feet by two feet, I would say. And then you just need to give about three to four feet on either side in the back, 10 to 25 feet in front for them to ascend and descend when they're entering and exiting. And that's all the space you need. And then in terms of time, we basically go in every 10 to 14 days during, during the season, during the winter, you don't even touch them. But so it's great for people who have full-time jobs too, because Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's like set it and forget it pretty much. Okay. So What are, like, what's the education you need to know? Because we actually tried bees, but I did not educate myself first. I'm totally the type of person who I will get something and then figure it out later. And the bees were so low maintenance, whereas like a cow, okay, you get a cow and I say I'll figure it out along the way, but I know I have to feed the cow, milk the cow, do all those things. So I have to figure that out on the fly. But like bees didn't really bother me. And so I neglected them completely. Yeah. And of course, like we lost our bees. So what are the things that you have to know? Sure. Um, so I would say the main thing, like the most important thing is definitely doing those inspections every 10 to 14 days, just because since they're not a cow and you can't like see them being sick or you can't, yeah, you can't see what's going on. No, you can't see them like being, they are not going to tell you they're hungry or whatever. Right. You need to peek into that hive because the hive, those inspections are going to tell you everything you need to know. Main thing to watch out for are pests. There's hive beetles, which we actually, we just did our like 
second to last inspection of the year and we saw a couple. So we're going to have to do some, some treatment for that. But, um, hive beetles are little like black bugs that can get in there and they eat the honey. They poop all in it to be frank. And then they, they make it inedible and unusable for the bees. So that's one problem. Another big problem is mites. They can actually, I think they lay their eggs inside the larva of the bee. So then the bee grows up with this mite inside of it, makes it very sickly and basically decimates the entire hive. Oh, wow. So that's, that's like the worst case scenario of what could happen to your hive. Honey robbing is another thing. I know some people like if they have bears, that's an issue. And there are other pests like mice and rats and possums and raccoons that love to get in there. So things you need to do to defend against that. Once you're in summer, basically, once you're in the heat of summer, like you said, you basically can just let it go. And spring and fall are your times where you might want to add a little bit of sugar water. Now, some people, if they're um, pursuing natural beekeeping, they might not do that. But if you're not opposed to giving them a little boost in the springtime just to get them going so they can you know, breed, because in the winter, basically, Missouri has cold winters, right? Yeah, I mean, it it does. I would say it's probably really similar to Indiana. Okay, because um, I was going to say, if you have a place where there's cold winters, you're going to lose part of that hive regardless. Um, you just don't want to lose all of it. And so mm-hmm. um, giving them that boost in the spring with the sugar water as well as the fall helps to make sure that they have enough stores to to make it through, basically. Okay. Okay. So whenever you're doing your hive checks, you are just looking for the beetles, the mites, potentially something robbing. And then also I think I learned that you're looking for if they're getting too many, they might divide, right? And then they'll yeah. half will swarm. Yeah. So I was going to say, I was going to add you, a lot of people, when they first start beekeeping, they always, they're obsessed with finding the queen every time. Yes. And that's, yes. Unless you're a super experienced beekeeper. I mean, like we're very new into this. I I've been teaching people about beekeeping as I go. So we're like 18 months to two years into this and we don't look for our queen every time. The thing you want to look for is brood, which would be eggs. So if you're looking at a frame and in the brood box, so like the hive is made up of different types of boxes. And if I'm getting too technical, sorry, we've got two brood boxes on the bottom and that's where all the bees are born and raised and that's where the queen lives. Then you have a queen excluder, which keeps the queen from going up because otherwise your hive would expand like indefinitely. And then on top of that queen excluder, that's where your honey supers are. That's where you're going to get your honey from. So the... When you're doing your inspections, you go through all the boxes. And when you're in those brood boxes, you want to make sure you look in each of those cells. And if you see like a tiny little grain of rice, that's a larva. And then uh, they'll get bigger. And then if you see like big wormy looking things, those are bee larvae and those are brood. And so if you see brood being laid, you know your queen is alive and well, which is great. If you see they're like little... And you can Google it. And in the guide, I wrote a guide all about beekeeping. But in the guide, I show pictures. If you see like little um, cells that are sticking out of the frame and they're pointed upside down, those are queen cells. And so that means that another queen is being born potentially. And so that could be a sign that you might be getting close to a swarm. Another thing is if you're looking and like 70 to 80% of all of your frames are full of honey or full of bees and brood, that's another sign that you're either going to want to add another brood box or 
at a honey super or something like that. So those are two of the potential ways that you can prevent against swarming. Again, that's, you'll just look, keep an eye out for that when you inspect. But in terms of if they actually swarm, we haven't had that happen yet. <laughs> so um, okay. I know there's, you can split hives and things like that by kind of taking your current queen and moving her to a new box. And I guess theoretically, like I said, we've never done it yet, but we've watched and learned about it. If you take your current queen, put her in a new box, half the hive will follow her and half the hive will stay with the other queen that's being born so okay okay if you're if you're like in a swarm situation or you want to split a hive that's how you would do it but for people in the suburbs and like people who are just starting out i would highly recommend just following those other methods of like quelling the swarming you know and trying to prevent it as much as possible as opposed to always dividing it i think that's what made me really confused is we had a bee mentor and he was always looking for the queen and i could never spot the queen (laughs) He's like, you see right there. And I'm like, I I just can't see any difference. I mean, I know she's bigger. No. But yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you had a wild hive or a marked queen because so we bought our our package of bees from a local apiary. And if you buy bees like and someone didn't catch them out in the wild, they'll often have a little dot on their back. So ours has a little neon green dot, even though she has that. dot. Oh, that would make it easy. Well, yes. (laughs) Yes. And no, because it's I was going to say easier. Yes. Even though she has that dot, it's still like when you're going in there, she's not going to make herself known because she's the most valuable thing. So yeah. she hides at the very bottom on the edge. Like you have to really look. Um, but yeah, I mean, the more you go in there, the more you'll you'll start to be able to tell. And also drones who are like the male bees, they uh, they look different than worker bees as well. So they're a little bit bigger. They actually don't have any stingers. So the queen can sting you indefinitely. The workers sting you once and then they're dead, but the drones do not sting because they don't leave the hive. Their only purpose is to breed. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. All right. We'll take a quick break from this awesome conversation to tell you about my five day blogging business challenge. So if you followed along for a while, you might know that Luke and I have done this exclusively from home, the blog business for over five years now, he quit his job and we run my blog. Now, I also have since added, of course, a podcast. I have a YouTube channel, but the blog in itself could support our family. And I love the passive income that the blog provides. It's the least invasive for our family life. It's the easiest thing to work around. If I had to get rid of every aspect of my business, the blog would be the last to go. I love to help students learn how to do this for their own families, for their own idea, their own business with my five day blog challenge. So this is five days to narrow down your niche, craft your brand and come up with a content plan for a successful blogging business. Blogging is one of those things that a people think is dead. And I'm here to tell you that it is the most profitable part of my business. So it is so not dead. But the reason B they think that is because there's a strategy to it. It's not just a journal anymore. That kind of content's reserved for Instagram, for YouTube. It's different, but as big of an opportunity as ever. So if you are interested in figuring out or or you're just curious, it's totally free about blogging, you can join my challenge by heading to bit.ly forward slash five day blog challenge. That's bit.ly forward slash five, the number five, day blog challenge. It's case sensitive. So all lowercase. All right. Hope that that is helpful for you. 
Okay, so have you been able to harvest honey yet from yours? And how much did you get? Like for a year, what can you expect? Yeah, um, that was the best part. <laughs> and so it was a long yes. wait, but it was worth it. So we harvested this past June, but, uh, like kind of between June and July, because since it was our first year, I will say some of those milestones that you look forward to and plan for, we were caught off guard by them. And so we like we're doing things last minute. And so we harvested a couple different times with a couple different methods. And the, all in all, I think we ended up getting a little over five gallons of honey from one year. And that was because we didn't harvest, like we have another super out there right now that is basically full, but we left it for our bees for winter just because the hive beetles and we'd noticed that there wasn't as much honey as we would like in the brood boxes. And so we want to give them, but we want to give them like the chance to, be okay throughout the winter. But on average, people can expect between five to 10 gallons, depending on the year, be, you know, how many times you harvest. Cause you can, if you play it, your cards, right. You can actually get two harvests in one year. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That is really good to mm -hmm. know. And it's just so satisfying. Like you, you might think, you know, I can get honey from a local farm. I can just buy it, which for some people that's totally fine, but some people just really have the desire to see how an entire process works and bring something in that they are responsible for completely cultivating. And that that's what's so exciting about it. Absolutely. And I mean, at least around here, a quart of honey goes for around $18. So if you think about that times four for a gallon, how many gallons you get, it's a decent amount of honey that you can use for yourself. You can gift. Honey never goes bad. They found honey in the mm -hmm. Egyptian pyramids that is still good. But, and, and I know like beekeeping does have an upfront cost, but once you have the equipment, it like those hives, you can keep reusing. So that honey, that value, that $18 or more per quart, that's only going to, you know, pay, pay you back basically in dividends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. A few questions from the listeners first on safety. How often do you get stung? So I have never gotten stung. Okay. My husband got stung once and my daughter got stung once and the, and that's over 18 months. So we are the wimpy beekeepers. I, we're not wimpy, but people will make fun of you because we wear our suits mm -hmm. regularly. If you wear your suit, you are going to cut those, those chances of getting stung down drastically. My, my husband did get stung through his suit. That's how it happened. But we were working with the hive on a really hot day. They can be a little more aggravated in the heat. And we had been in there for a while because we were just doing some other like moving around things. And so that's how he got stung. My daughter got stung because she's curious about the bees and she didn't even get stung near the hive. But we were in the garden one day and she turned around and goes, mommy, look, a bee. And she had picked it up between her two fingers and was just holding it. Oh. And I said, wow, Charlie, that's great. Um, let's put it down. They don't like to be held. Let it go. She yeah. did not, she did not get stung that day. It was the next day when we were harvesting honey and there was bees all around the extractor. She did the same thing. She goes, mommy, look. And that time she was not so lucky. So yeah. <laughs> she's not allergic or anything, which is good. But um, she learned her lesson that bees are cool and we can work alongside them, but we don't, they don't like to be held. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I'm with you. When we had bees, we always wore the suit. The guy that was our mentor came over and he would, you know, have his bare hands. I'm like, are you, what, 
why are you trying to be cool? Yeah, Cause like, same. why, <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, no, same. And even like, I've read that, you know, calm beekeepers equal calm bees. Okay. And so, so maybe, yeah. whatever makes you calm, if you're, yeah, like if you're comfortable that way, great. But I would be a nervous wreck. Like I was not the one, I'll tell you, I was not the one who wanted to get bees. My husband was the bee, is the bee man. He still does most of the bee work. I just film it and help and do, you know, all the stuff with him because I was nervous about bees for the longest time. Now, not so much because I understand them a bit more, but yeah, I don't blame anyone who wears their suit. I think it's totally, I mean, that's why they're there. So, right, right. Yeah. I don't see why not. That's what's going to make me calm for sure. That's probably a good point as to why that guy never really got stung is he just wasn't worried about it. And so he probably yeah. didn't get stung much. Well, and our mentor is the same way. And like when he helped us install our hive, he did get stung a couple times, but he said that, I mean, he's been doing this for years and he, I think he has like 50 or so hives all across our city, our town. But he said, once you get stung a certain amount of times, it just starts to feel like a mosquito bite apparently. So oh, okay. they could well, be used to it. They could be calm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever get there, but props to them. <laughs> yeah. Go then. So if someone wants to get started with beekeeping, I know you have some resources. Do you have any recommendations for how to find a mentor? Or do you really feel that it's necessary? Or, you know, if you're like wanting to get started, what kind of, where do you go from here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think edu- like education is definitely, I would highly recommend it because they are an investment, a little bit of an investment. And so it's not something you want to, I don't know, go into completely clueless because then you're going to lose money, which wouldn't, I don't know. I don't like to lose money. So I wouldn't want other people to No, Um, (laughs) there are local beekeeping associations about, I mean, there's, if you Google my local beekeeping association, there's a like federal beekeeping organization and they have a list of all of them in every state. So you can find your local beekeeping association there and they will have like a database where you can sign up and then you can find your, a mentor They will, they will assign you a mentor. Also, if you take a beekeeping class, that's how they, they can sign you up with the mentor as well. That's what we did. I wouldn't say it's necessary. Like our mentor, I don't know how often your mentor came over. Ours came over, I think twice, once maybe, mm-hmm. but it's also just someone to text. If you're, if you see something weird or if you're wondering when, like, when should I put this, you know, we, for Formic Pro is like a fall thing that you do to prevent against the mites. Like, when should I put that on? You can text your mentor. But if you're not into that, it's not necessary, but it's definitely good to have. And and Google is your friend in terms of finding those associations. Yes. Cool. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Well, as people head into the new year and plan out their homestead dreams for this upcoming spring, summer, what kind of resources do you have specifically for suburban homesteaders and where can everybody find you? Absolutely. Well, so yeah, like you said, we're, this is, it's almost Christmas time. So while, while when yeah. this will air supposedly. So yes, um, yes. <laughs> it's the perfect time actually to order your bees. You want to make sure you get those bees in or those orders in early because then the apiaries will have time to get your package or your nuke ready for you. And then that you're not going to be like installing them when it's too hot because there's a whole other slew of issues that can happen if you get things basically if you don't get them in their hive early enough then they can they won't be ready for winter it's all about getting them through winter really in the end yes um okay. so i wrote since we started our whole process and like i said there were a couple 
you know, times where we were in our garage, 1030 at night, painting hives and running to the bee store, like trying to prevent these swarms and things. I wrote a guide called the ultimate guide to backyard beekeeping to hopefully prevent these headaches for other hobby beekeepers and new beekeepers out there so that they have something to reference, something to help prepare them. It's basically your entire first year of beekeeping written down from start to finish. It includes what we learned in our class, what we experienced, things to look out for, tips and tricks. And it's written from my perspective. So I'm a total like normal person. Like I said, I did not grow up in the, on the homestead or on a farm. And so there's like a glossary in the back for any technical words that things that people might not understand. And so my whole goal was to make it accessible for people who have never been a part of this lifestyle and who are completely new to this and looking for an in. And so that's the goal with the guide. Also, I on Instagram and TikTok, Instagram, I do more of, you know, reels and stuff about inspiration and motivation. And then on TikTok, I actually do beekeeping tips and teach you and kind of teach you about beekeeping a little bit more over there. But yeah, I think that's about it. And what was the handle you you said for those social medias? Sweet gum spot. Sweet gum spot. Sweet gum spot. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's a long story, but basically when I was little, we had a sweet gum tree in our front yard and that was my favorite spot. It was just like a happy place of dreams and and so that's how the name came. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, well, you've given me a lot to think about and I'm sure people who've put their homesteading dreams on the back burner so they can buy 100 acres or maybe have their wheels turning a bit. So that's very inspirational. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. Right. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that discussion. Katie also has a cookbook she made, a digital cookbook on all recipes honey. So that would be a perfect companion for beekeeping. We will also leave links down in the description box or the show notes wherever you are listening to the other things that she mentioned, any of her resources that help you get started with beekeeping, the book. It'll all be linked down below. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next one. Thank you.